You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Happy Friday, Brian Schrader. Hey, what's up, man? Are you there? I'm here. <clears throat> I need to stop. We need to stop. I need to stop time stamping our show because I wonder if it turns people away when they hear me say happy Friday and they're listening to this on a Wednesday. Do you think it ruins the allure? Um, I don't know. I think you get that in a lot of podcasts. Like in okay. How Did This Get Made? They're always like, what day is this going to come out? Because they'll record and, and sit on episodes for like weeks and months. They do. Yeah. Because they, they record. But none of their, no none of their shit's like topical though. No, it's definitely not topical. But we try to be something a little bit more than just topical, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this week... Well, we're going to cover a couple things that are pretty timely, but you know, in the most part, for the most part, we try to talk sports in ways that um, go beyond this forty-five minutes, long into uh, into people's lives, right? Benefiting people's lives long term. Are you having a good day? You having a good week? How was your uh, Halloween? Day just started. Week's good. Yeah, Halloween was fun, man. My neighborhood rocks Halloween. Like lots of, you know, adult-friendly houses where they there's this pl- house always hands out Jello shots. It's a party in my neighborhood. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. People people okay. in my town That's come good. to my neighborhood. It's like a, a, a an open secret. So you have to have you, ah. you have to be prepped with like 500, 600, 700 pieces of candy because that's how many kids two two solid hours. 6 to 8. You don't even you don't wow. even sit inside okay. your house because too many kids come. You have to sit outside. You sit in your porch on a chair and hand out candy. Everyone like, you know, Darn. lights up their fire pits and stuff. It's cool. It's a good a good Halloween neighborhood. Wow. Don't, uh, not, which is not an awesome. invitation. No one else should come here. We can't take any more people. How, how, what's the address? Cross streets again? Yeah, exactly. So Andover sure Woods subdivision, Fenton, Michigan. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to make it here. It's not close to any. That's sweet. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. How was yours? How the, uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, uh, my youngest went out for an hour. The oldest went out for two hours. Uh, Catherine and I split duties and, um, Iris, Iris brought home four and a half pounds of candy. We waited. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. But it was, this was the first year that she really, really, really took to it. So it was a blast. It was a good year. And, it, and the weather was good. Um, it was kind of brisk, but not, not too cold. And so it was a good good Halloween. No complaints, buddy. It's supposed to start getting crappy here this weekend, though. So it's perfect for college football Sunday or Saturday and NFL Sunday. So no complaints. What, what were your um, kids? I had a, a a red Power Ranger and something from the Descendants, like a pirate or something. Oh, nice. Okay. I don't really know. What, I don't know what the Descendants What's is. That? I think it's like a Disney thing. Wasn't that a George Clooney movie? Yeah, I don't think it was that one. I think it's a different one. It was that one. He was actually George Clooney from the Descendants. She was George Clooney. It was she was spot on. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. just wore a, a Hawaiian really shirt, and uh, I actually didn't even finish that movie. I thought it was weird. I we saw it in theaters and I cannot remember whether or not what, I liked you mean it. like in Hawaii uh, and like his mom dies, his wife dies, and then he finds out his wife is cheating on him. Isn't that the movie? Yes, and he's dealing with a lot of family ah. stuff because they're you know breaking up the uh, the estate that kind of oh, stuff. Okay. But, um, 
gosh, it would be nice to be able to stream to YouTube, but we can't do that with both of us. Anybody, if you're listening to the show and you know how to, to, to stream a multicam to YouTube, uh, please let Brian and I know because it would be nice to have a split screen just because, uh, the engagement on Facebook isn't great outside of the live feed. I was listening, or I was reading a bunch of stuff this week. Sorry. I did to go, uh, social media, <laughs> to go social media nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, social to, to go social media nerd on you. Um, Facebook's other algorithms do not actually push out video that's longer than two minutes unless it's live. Oh. So FYI, folks, if you're posting stuff on there as a business or as a, you know, a brand, um, keep it under two the minutes. The more you know. The more you know. So yeah, there's our Halloween's uh, big weekend in terms of sports, I guess. Michigan's got a game. Iowa's got a game. Um, you know. The, the Big Ten is still up for grabs, it appears, uh, in both both divisions, so that's fun. There's a bunch of SEC games that I'm sure people will just continue talking about for the next 24 hours, uh, which bores the hell out of me. Uh, I meant to ask you, or I was going to ask you, and hopefully you can answer, do you get geared up for SEC football? Do you care? Like, are you excited about tomorrow's uh, games? LSU, Bama? Yeah, I mean, like, particular matchups I'm, I'm, I like. But like, will you sit in front of the TV? Like, will your day be uh, at all centered around uh, those SEC games no, tomorrow? No, or do you not care? I mean, obviously, tomorrow yeah. is, uh, is is Michigan. 3.30. Okay. It's the only game, right? Penn State. Yeah, that's it. There's, I mean, there, there's, there's, uh, some, there's, there's an, some compelling I, I games on tomorrow that are, well, I, you know, I'm Georgia, Kentucky, that'll be a good game. West Virginia, Texas, that'll be a good game. Yeah, I, I guess. Iowa, Purdue. Dude, Oh, Alabama LSU is at eight. Yeah, no, I'll probably watch that game. Did I skip Iowa Purdue? <laughs> yeah, I was being a smart. Ass. It's on at the same. It's on at the same time as Michigan. So, so you're gonna split screen it? <laughs> no. PIP no, picture. <laughs> hey, we got to jump into uh, to some sports talk because that's why people come to us, Brian. But before we do that, let's say uh, we started a blog this week. You can find it at wearesportsnerds.com/blog. That's our website too. It's up and running. It's clean. It looks nice. Um, but go to the blog, read it, leave some comments. Uh, Brian and I are going to try to contribute at least once a week, uh, each, each, ideally twice, one from each one of us. If you're out there, you're a professor, you're a grad student, you're interested in talking about sports in some, excuse me, in some of the ways that Brian and I do, please email us or message us via yeah. any of the social, social media platforms. Yeah, we would love that. Um, I actually told Dan yesterday that yeah. he needs to, Get that Burke piece, that Burke uh, Rocky Four piece on paper. I know Aaron Donaldson did say that he would be interested. Uh, Kate Hoyt as well. So yeah, Troy Morgan, who were, you were writing a paper with, you know, to maybe get more of the analytics stuff on there. So anyhow, let's let's get some folks involved. But please do check out the blog. We're gonna try to put stuff out there that's that are relatively short reads, right? I think we're shooting for five to six minutes tops because uh, we understand that your time um, is valuable. And so, and also I think Brian and I can, you know, it forces us to make better arguments in shorter amounts of time. So please check that out. Uh, John Reef, John also said that he was going to sit on some things and try to figure out what to write about. So there's that. Uh, the next thing, social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we are on Twitter, and of course, we're on YouTube. You can find us some sort of combination of sports nerds, sports.nerds, at sports nerds, experiment, try to find us. Um, our Instagram continues to blow up. We're getting a lot more engagement, which is fun. I think what matters is not certain necessarily the likes or the or the comments, but are people uh, kind of moving towards listening to our podcast? And I'll tell you what, Brian, you and I talked, uh, um, you and I talked and, and, and I had mentioned that... Uh, 
we're getting a lot more downloads and we certainly are that's continuing to grow. So those are good things. So find us on the social. Uh, if you if you like what we're doing and you wanted to throw us a buck, uh, we you know you can contribute via anchor.fm slash sports nerds. There's a way there to, to give us 50 cents or a dollar. Uh, of course, not expected. I think Brian and I are talking about putting together some apparel for folks. And uh, one of these days, maybe over Christmas break or holiday break, we can sit down and, and add that to the website. So we'll see. Other announcements before we jump into our stories. Uh, next week, the goal or the plan is for Brian and I to sit down and have a conversation with Tamler Summers, Dr. Tamler Summers, who is a uh, philosopher, a philosophy professor at the University of Houston, a co-host of Very Bad Wizards, which is a philosophy and psychology podcast. It's very much worth listening to if you can find it. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, he can he can join the show and everything works out. We're going to talk about fandom and he does a lot of work on honor. And so I think we're going to talk about that. We're going to discuss honor. Uh, the other thing, the next the next potential guest is former Bachelorette contestant JJ Lane, who uh, is a Brian, uh, Brian. Yeah, there's Brian's face. I don't know if you knew this, but he is DU's color analyst, uh, DU hockey's color analyst. So, uh, yeah, really. So, um, he's very much interested in being on the show. And so, uh, we're gonna try to set something up to either get him here in studio. Is the bachelorette the one with like a bunch of dudes and one woman or the other way uh, around? That's, that's, yes, that's the bachelorette and the bachelor is. Did he win? No, he didn't. Did he marry her? He did is not. Is that how it works? He, that's how it works. Well, uh, there's at least an engagement. Uh, no, he did not get married. He's back in Denver. He's, he's from here, I think. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he knows his hockey. So we're gonna try to get him on the show. Let's jump into this, Brian. Um, since I can still, I still got you on this on Zencaster, uh, folks. If there's some cutting and there's some and mixing that that are confusing you, we'll do our best to make things uh, cohesive uh, in the in the post production. But I, I think the first thing that I wanted to mention was the 49ers cheerleader who last night uh, in the game had, had knelt uh, during the national anthem. Did you see that, Brian? Yeah, I didn't read. Didn't get a chance to. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to read up on the story uh, as as well. Um, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to read uh, the story. But I, or if there was any stories, I think that somebody had just posted a picture later yesterday evening or last night, and that was the first time that anybody really recognized or noticed uh, at at a, at a mass scale. So I'm sure there'll be some some commentary that comes out today about that. And then uh, I'm going to let you take this one. Bryson DeChambeau has announced that he's going to putt with the flagstick in next season. Did you want to? Do you want to articulate a little bit more? You were very interested in this and Bryson DeChambeau's approach to golf. He's been successful, and he's very much a nerd. It appears like Brian and I. So I'll let you take it. You, you go ahead. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. You're the you're the golf guy. What do you think about this? He's got a he's got a putt with the. Put with the with the stick in is is the logic behind this that the the ball's more likely to drop? Uh, yeah. Well, is that I, okay, it? What did I read yesterday? I think it was ESPN that was talking about it. Uh, you're, yeah. I think the ESPN golf writer kind of predicted that we're going to see it more on downhill putts. Uh, you know, putts that are. So just on ones where he thinks he's going to like smoke it past the hole. Yeah, yeah. You know, put, putts. On, He's going to try and use yeah, it as a backboard. Yes. And it's not just him, right? He just admitted that he, he was the first one admitting he's going to do it. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. That. Hey, can you turn your – I know that you're trying to listen to me through BeLive, but you can turn it down a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm down. Okay. All right. There we go. Uh, yeah. So he's just gonna he's gonna attempt to to use it, I guess, as a backboard. Um, he's probably not gonna be the only one. There'll be other people on tour who do it. But I think, I mean, it makes total sense, right? It's kind of a silly rule. I'm not particularly sure why that rule is in place uh, to keep the flag stick in and penalize people if you putted with the flag stick in and it hit the flag stick uh, while you were on the green. There's a lot of dumb rules in golf. And as a caddy, wait. So that's a rule, or they changed that rule? No, the rule. The rule was prior to the change that we're talking about, you had to remove the uh, the flag. You have to remove the flag if you're putting on the green. If your ball is on the green and you're putting, you cannot have the flag in. If you hit the flag while putting on the green, it is a two-stroke penalty. No, I didn't yeah. know that. So that has changed. And now uh, you'd be able to putt while on the green, if your ball is on the green, with the flag stick in. Huh. Yeah. Nobody really knows that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's really, it never really even comes into play when, you know, if you and I were playing golf or, or, you know, you play with buddies. I mean, the point of the flag stick is so that you can see where the hole is from distance, right? Or if you're on the side of the green where the hole is, is out of view because it's, you know, there's a ridge in the way or something, you still have a sense of, of what you're trying to aim for. The mm-hmm. the intent of the stick is not to be used as a backstop or an obstacle or whatever. But oh, hey, look at this! I, I don't think wait, I don't wait, think. Wait, we have okay. Tony Tony Carmichael is one of a, a listener of the show, and he's a head golf pro actually. Okay, so, Tony, if you have any comments about this, please drop them in on Facebook. All right, we're talking about the leaving the flag stick in and putting with the flag stick in and what kind of advantage or disadvantage that would give. So we're going to keep talking. If you have comments, Tony, we'll, we'll, we'll integrate it. But um, yeah, I, I guess what you're saying is, okay, so, so you can, like if somebody's tending the pin, this is previous, right? They've changed the rule. If somebody is tending the pin, if somebody's holding the pin with the intention of pulling it out after you strike the ball, that is okay. You can do that. So if you can't see the flag because you're 35 feet away, you get to see the hole. That's fine. But there has to be the intention, right, of pulling it out of out of the hole. That's why you have a caddy tend the flag or, or somebody you're playing golf with tend the flag. So tend- if the rule then was you you if you hit the flag, you get a two-stroke penalty, the, the only logic for that rule, as far as I can tell, is they think it gives you an advantage if you putt with the with the pin in the hole. My question is, is there anything that bears that out? Is that true? Is, is, is rephrase that say that again sorry if uh, the only reason to have a rule that says if you putt from on the, the the green surface and you hit the pin it's a two-stroke penalty the only logic for that rule would be the assumption or the knowledge that putting with the pin in the hole gives the golfer an advantage bryson dechambeau seems to think that right if he's going to putt Ooh. leaving it in the hole is there any evidence that that's true because just just based on I'm just conjecturing here based on on nothing based on my own experience. If you hit the if you hit the the flag stick, all sorts of weird things can happen. Correct. Yeah. Oh, look, namely, uh, if you've ever done this on a putting green or, or even done this on a normal green before, you know that sometimes you hit it and it, and the ball can kind of get wedged between the pin and the side of the hole. What happens then? Uh if you pull the flag stick out and the ball comes out, then it's that it doesn't go in. If it if you pull it out, it pops out. It's not it doesn't count. It's not. Do you have to pull it like straight out, or can you lean it to one side? They bend. Supposed, you're supposed to pull it straight out. Okay, here's what Tony said. Uh, I believe the objective is actually the PGA's objective is to speed up play. Oh, that's why they're doing it. Like it's just a basic speeding up of play. But if that's, most that's people are going to continue to pull it. the flag, 
based on tradition or whatever. Mm-hmm. If they want to speed well, up play, you know what we should do is let these dudes drive golf carts. I know. I know. That would... Have we talked about this <sighs> before? Someone suggested this once, and I think it's genius. I want to see a round of golf with no caddies. <laughs> I think you play that every week, don't you? I'm serious. I think I, the argument that was made to me, and I think it was, it was, it was Marcus Porosky who said this, but I can't remember, was that the, the role of the caddy oftentimes in professional golf is like they take the heat off the golfer right? They make a bad shot in the caddy. It's like, oh, that was my fault. I gave you the wrong club or whatever. Or they get to, you know, you can, you know, bitch at your caddy and complain about, about something. Oh, you told me the distance wrong or something. But if you, if you did it by themselves, then the golfers sort of emotionally have to shoulder the stress of, of, of professional golf by their, by themselves. Yeah. I think you might see scores go up and maybe some interesting flameouts, you know, more John Daly's. I would say that that we've probably moved past the function of a caddy, right? There's not really a necessarily a need for a caddy at the PGA level anymore. These guys have so many notes. Um, they carry a ton of notes in their back pocket. They do their research and all of this. And so, yeah, I mean, if you were to all of a sudden take away the caddy and, you know, give guys carts or something like that, um, I don't see, think you would see the game change too much. I, it would have to, well, you have to have like a push cart or something because I think a lot of the game or at least the PGA wants to believe a lot of the game is physical. And so, you know, being in good shape is obviously something you have to be able to do now uh, for the most part. I mean, look at the guys that are on tour now, though. Like Bryson DeChambeau's built like a brick shithouse. Tiger's still Tiger. Um, and there's guys like you and I who ride in carts. I think there's there's more. I, I think it's true that, I don't know if it was Tiger, but it seems like right around the the emergence of Tiger on the on the tour, you saw these guys starting to, look more like athletes you know a lot of lifting a lot of you know strength and conditioning that sort of stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure okay, i'm not saying uh, they, i'm not saying that these guys couldn't walk 18 holes and that's why they need a cart or that it, it just it seems like an antiquated rule like maybe it was pre carts being that common that the assumption was that you needed to walk it would just make it go faster wouldn't it mm-hmm, it would it certainly would but um yeah i guess it, it you would still have guys taking time I, I wonder if caddies actually speed up the pace of play in the sense that um, if you gave a, a player time, more time, or a player would want more time to decide what club to play as opposed, as opposed to a caddy already kind of limiting or, or um, you know, less, lessening the options through that choice. But I don't know. We'll see. Was, right, was, we'll see. was Bryson DeChambeau the guy who was like got in trouble for using like a compass? I like know. a geometry compass? It could have been, right? It, it Do you remember been. that this year? There was some guy who was like using, he'd pull like, you know what I'm talking about? Like that metal thing that looks like a nutcracker with a pointy end and a, and a pencil end. You know what I'm talking about? Like a math compass. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. And he would like pull it out and, and put it on the, the, the image on the card of the putting surface that they gave him and do something with it. And he got in trouble and they said he couldn't do it anymore, which mm. it, it didn't make any sense. I don't think he was doing, you know, complex calculations with his slide rule and his and his in his compass or whatever Mm-mm, but this goes no. i mean this goes into the this other thing this other thing bryson dechambeau is is if, even if he wasn't the compass guy he definitely is the guy who has gotten notoriety because he plays with all these all of his irons are the same length and the same weight or whatever and i, I was just reading an article about this where they claimed like it's a it's a really you know advanced scientific approach to golf but that that's bullshit right because if you're playing with clubs that are the same length he's like choking up that's how he's changing. The clubs are the same length, but he's not holding them at the top. He he, he chokes up on those clubs to simulate the same the same length 
I think. I think that's how it works. Have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah, from you about 30 minutes ago when you were preparing for the show. Yeah, I, I had I had heard about it. That's how I heard about it. I hadn't heard about it previously, no. <laughs> so no, so no, 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 no burning insights then. No, I have nothing to add. No, I mean, it's okay. I mean, so my, po- my, my point is this, like, go to, a, go to a sporting goods store or a golf shop and there's all sorts of like, Tin Cup does a good job making fun of this. There's, there's an industry built around ridiculous, you know, innovations and pieces of technology that are supposed to make, supposed to, you know, revolutionize golf and, and, and make it way better. And it seems to me that the compass on the, the green sheet or the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the same leg, same length on your on your irons, or you know, you've seen the stupid like plastic thing that you put that holds your wrist in the right. I and mean, they sell all these weird little technologies, but I don't, I don't think any of them are are scientific. They all seem like sort of you know, if it if it makes you more comfortable psychologically to to do something weird. You know, the other thing is, I think this is still kind of in vogue too. The big fat grip on a putter or something like that to give you a better feel when you're putting. All this seems silly to me like to, to, to couch it as this revolutionary scientific advancement in golf i think is, is sort of is sort of ridiculous brian we got to move on i know you want to talk about golf but uh it's it's november so let's just hold off on golf for a, for a few months we gotta move we gotta move on to the next one okay do you have any closing comments that i didn't do you, did i hurt your feelings by saying that <laughs> no you're, you're okay good. um one last comment from Tony Carmichael. Uh, the whole deal appears to be that these new rules uh, want to help the PGA reach out to the masses, which is ironic because the average Joe who plays on the weekend doesn't necessarily care about the rules anyway, which is a really good point, right? Preach. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, thank you, Tony, for contributing there. Let's move on to, uh, I suppose, the big story of the week. The big story of the week being that Maryland brought – TJ, DJ Durkin back, DJ Merkin. Is it DJ Merkin? Um, you know what a Merkin is, Brian? Are you familiar with a Merkin? No. It's a pubic wig? Go ahead and look it up. Okay, so uh, they bring TJ Durkin back, I think, on Wednesday, and then on Thursday decided to fire him. Uh, it's quite the story, I think. Uh, so I'm trying to think. I, let's, let's parse through this here. The Board of Regents... Met, did an investigation, I guess, since August, decided, uh, based on the outcome of that investigation, that Durkin should be retained as football coach. He was reinstated on Wednesday. Wednesday's the right day, right? Okay. Uh, came to, went to practice, addressed the players. A couple of players walked out. Next day, practice, there was a fight between two Durkin supporters and one anti-Durkin player. And then uh, within, I want to say like a half hour after the end of practice, Maryland, the university of Maryland decided to fire Durkin. So it's this kind of roller coaster of, of, you know, Maryland football. Obviously it's a complete shit show. Uh, Things don't appear to be going any better. There's an investigation now into these players and they're fighting. Durkin's gone. The uh, the board of regents, the head of the board of, board of regents, uh, just stepped down yesterday. So that's where things are now. I mean, I I mean, the thing. Do you have any comments on this before you wanna before we jump into the big question, which for me was, uh, uh, do Power Five football programs seriously have that much power? Uh, so that was going to be the question that I brought to you today. But do you have any uh, initial comments about this story? 
Yeah, I don't know. We talked about this story when the you know the the when it kind of started. I don't know how many months ago was it before college football even started, right? And I was I was sort of in the, you know, where where how do you how do you trace kind of the the causal linkage between what happened and and the the coach or the culture or is it is it sort of football more broadly? Um, but after seeing the, the 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 weird internal politics play out, I think the question has changed from, you know, what is the culture of of football teams? Is it is it hyper competitive? Is it is it toxic masculinity? Is it you know insert whatever uh, kind of lens you want to view it through there? To to the question that 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 I think you really want to focus on, which is um, kind of what does it say about the 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 political capital, the political power that football programs wield um inside of athletic departments and in, inside of universities and i think i think it should be i think i think it should be startling right i think you know that the ncaa has invested lots and lots and lots and lots of money to to try and convince um people that you know student athletes are student athletes and that the function of universities is education and that sports you know serves a a a, a secondary role that only exists insofar as it can support those kind of educational and academic um, uh, uh, goals. And I think this shows that, that, you know, that the opposite is true. If, if, if we're trying to concern, if we're trying, if we're trying to be concerned with who, who's, who's in control and, and who's kind of, uh, you know, got their hands on the levers of power when it comes to the relationship between colleges and, and college athletics, I think that this story really kind of, pulls back the curtain, right? And shows us that the interests um, are largely in line with uh, universities' pocketbooks, which is which means that it's tied up with their athletics programs and, and football in particular. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is definitely one of those situations in which you, like you said, you pull back the curtain and you really see the power that sports wield at I, at universities. Um, what's interesting, right, we're talking about a power five school here with Maryland being a big 10 school. And the fact that, you know, the Board of Regents, uh, you know, major leadership at the university was willing to to reinstate Durkin um, in order for, I guess, to save money or to or, or out of the belief that Durkin was going to continue to improve the program. And, and somehow that was more important than the family of the player or the retribution, I suppose, of the victim the victims, uh, which would be family, I suppose, but now you have this deceased player who died this summer during practice. I guess what's compelling or what's intriguing to me is that I think it's, I, I think we can make the argument it's not just power five schools because um, here at Metro, actually, ironically, uh, the Metro is doing a feasibility study to see whether or not their their athletics programs should go Division One, and uh, I, I would tend to think that the main driver behind that decision, or even the the initiation of that conversation, would be financial, right? It would be fiscal, and so what does that mean for education in Metro State? What does that mean as a professor here? Uh, what does it mean, you know, in a state where education isn't valued? Like, is the university trying to use sports to to fund other initiatives that that taxpayer money can't uh i i don't know it's but i think you and i have pointed this out before right so many of these schools whether it be metro whether it be you know a rutgers or a boston college you know some of these kind of i don't want to say lower tier but definitely kind of bottom of the division uh power five schools think they have to have these football programs 
or you can go to you know uh, sorry even smaller schools like say San Diego State or um, New Mexico State who feel like they have to have these programs in order to put their names out there in order to get their school on the map but what what is the effect of that right what are the externalities of that choice because I think the, these externalities they affect not just the players at these schools, like uh, I'm trying to think like a good example, like a Chattanooga, Tennessee, Chattanooga, or, uh, you know, Tennessee State, or a UNI, right, Northern Iowa. It's affecting the players on the field. It's putting them in a position where they have to play uh, top-tier programs in order to, to fund their programs. This is what happens with football and basketball. So, the, so there's, a, there's a safety, there's a literal physical safety element to that. But I think, how is it affecting the school's beyond like off the field or off the court as well is it affecting professors is it affecting students there and i'll turn it back over to you but i just you know would would pose this question to you is if you're a student at maryland and you know you're there to actually get an education and to study and to take advantage of the resources how does this make you feel right are you frustrated are you pissed off or if you're a professor there is it the same thing and so i'll hand it back over to you yeah, I mean, I, you, it probably runs the gamut, right? You probably got students and professors who are pissed off. You probably have students and professors who don't care. You probably have students and professors who want to see the coach stay for you know reasons that I probably can't even um, speculate. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I agree with everything you just said, but I, I also sort of understand that from the university's perspective, that to you know recruit students to sell a bill of goods that includes you know the uh, air quotes. Um, college experience, that means a bunch of things that aren't really tied to what happens in the classroom. I talked about this um, in my uh, Com 200 class yesterday, my Com Theory class, that, you know, when we think about the the things that that universities invest money in oftentimes it's weird weird again weird non-classroom centric things like do you have a bunch of student activities do you have you know a rec center do you have really cool old buildings and well manicured trees on your campus that a lot of a lot of getting students to want to go to your school and and similarly getting um uh, alumni to donate to your school are those things that constitute the the college experience even though they're they're absolutely unrelated to the learning that happens on college campuses and i think that athletics is one of those things right um you know a good sort of control for this is the university that i teach at that has only club sports right we don't we're not we don't play any ncaa sports we're not even division three um and i think you know, kind of, we're kind of a downtown commuter sort of campus. I don't think it looks like a lot of, you know, traditional universities um, look. And and one thing that's missing is sort of the, the culture of sports. I mean, we can kind of piggyback off of Ann Arbor and, you know, uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor to, to, to fulfill our, our sports needs there a little bit. But I mean, it, it, it does change things, right? It probably makes it harder for the university to get people to, to donate money, right? You're probably not tapping into a certain group of alumni. It's probably harder to get students who really want to go to a place where they can go watch football games on, on, on Saturday. So like, I'm not, I under, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that universities are beholden to sports qua sports, right? I don't think they're saying, yeah, football is really important to us. I think what they're saying is the money that football generates is really important to us. And if it was something else, if it could be something else, it, 
it probably would be, right? If you could do it in some sort of academic way. I imagine if you went and talked to any, you know, chancellor or provost or, or dean, they would, they would, you know, be happy if the debate team could bring in a bunch of money because at least they can say there's academic rigor associated with that, right? If the philosophy club and the communication honor society could generate revenue, I suspect university administrators who, you know, most, most of whom, almost all of whom started as educators would say, yeah, we would back that. Right. But it doesn't it doesn't translate. It doesn't translate to, to revenue. Right. So I, at, at a certain point there, you have to be, uh, I guess, sort of a practical and realist about the decisions that you make. But but that doesn't mean that you have to think that it's OK or that we can't point to obvious instances of where that's gone bad, like in the case of Maryland. Right. And, and I, I suspect this is the conversation that's going on behind closed doors at Metro. You know, do we do we want to, you know, be a do we want to uh, do we want to participate in a be a member of a division one conference and do division one sports? Um, is that is that what we want to be? Is that our identity? And and the, the you know, the, the feasibility study that they're undertaking right now to see what it's going to look like, I suspect largely is going to say how, how much revenue do we expect that that's going to generate for us? And is that work worth the potential downsides of moving from D2 to D1? So I, I don't think the conversation I don't think the conversation behind those closed doors is like, you know, do we want to be D1 because of what that means for our student athletes in terms of competition, mm-hmm. right? That's not the conversation. It'd be really good for us, for our students to go play D1 basketball. That's not the conversation they're having, right? The conversation is, do we make money doing this, right? Do we join a conference where we're going to get revenue sharing? That's the conversation they're having. This is absolutely a sports question, but at the same time, it's absolutely not a sports question. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I guess I take issue with with how these um these decisions are framed right how they're made sense of and so externally in reading that article that i sent you about msu denver potentially going division one there there's there's little to if any mention of the fact that this is being done out of financial reasons or or not so if not solely because of financial reasons i think it should be acknowledged and like it's the to me the same thing with this maryland situation i needed to know uh, as the the president is coming forward in that press conference on Wednesday explaining why they decided to retain Durkin, I just needed some honesty as a sports consumer of why this was actually happening. It would be nice for the NCAA, for these schools, to admit the fact that so much of what they're defending, what they're keeping uh, in place, has to do with money as opposed to protecting the student-athlete. Because in this case, that's certainly not true. And I, I, I'm talking about the Maryland case. And what's interesting to me with the with Metro, I see these students and what they have to go through as Division Two athletes. And I think if they're Division One athletes, uh, that that kind of ups the expectation and the time suck uh, for them immediately. I would assume, right? The travel is going to be different if you look there. You know, there's potential of them maybe joining the WAC. And again, this is just a, they did a feasibility study. Nothing is guaranteed. But the fact that the school is even interested in this is is quite uh, fascinating to me. And I think if they were just in it for the student athlete, if they were just in it to, to provide an education to students, uh, this would this would look much different. I'm going to go talk to this guy who had the gall to walk his dogs past my house when I'm recording. He must he not have seen the recording in progress light above my front we, porch. No, we need to get you an on-air light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On air, recording in progress. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's all I have a piece to say of my that. mind. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, I just think we sports, uh, college sports in particular. I, I I do think it's the assumption that there's somehow a benefit um, to 
to colleges and to universities. And I, and I don't know that that's, that's always the case. It might be the case for, you know, five, 10, 15 top tier football and basketball programs, but um, I'm not quite sure it's, it's, it's true for a lot of schools, but let's move. Do you have any comments you wanted to make on that? Or you can give me a thumbs up. Okay. So you're good. Uh, let's move on to the next story, which is uh, the Derek Rose story. Uh, I, I emailed Brian this morning. Uh, about this because uh, I thought the Deadspin did a really, really nice, they wrote a nice piece uh, about the reaction to Derek, Derek Rose dropping 50 on Wednesday night. And uh, it was it was interesting because there's kind of two lines of, of content. There's the, uh, the mythological uh, narrative, like Derek Rose coming back from, you know, the ashes, you know, as a phoenix, and he's back, right? He's back. He's this player who was fantastic three, four years ago. And, and that level of, of game has now returned for Derek Rose. And then there's this, this other uh, line or, or, actual not line, non-existent line of conversation about the fact that Derek Rose uh, is still under investigation for gang rape, for gang raping a woman a few years back. And that uh, there's actually going to be a court hearing. There's a hearing coming up, I think, next week regarding the case. And and the uh, the article in Deadspin kind of attacks ESPN, but but not just ESPN. Other other sports outlets for not even approaching this 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 element of the story, and instead going straight to to Derrick Rose being this thing, this you know amazing athlete who's now returned to form, all because of a 50 point game, which is obviously totally bogus. But uh, in reading that Deadspin article, I guess I got kind of upset. I'm not upset because. Uh, that's not the best term, but I expect more from somebody like Michael Wilbon. And that's actually one of the first tweets that is included in the story that I'm talking about. Uh, he says, thrilled to, thrilled to tears for my man D Rose to score 50 to attack and deliver like it was 2011 drives, threes, a hook, a deflection at the end, all the way back would be such a great story. I think uh who wrote this lauren yeah lauren white laura wagner wrote this right i think her criticism of the fact criticism of the response to this uh event is is spot on because um to me it's like there's there's another story happening it's not like the kobe story i mean it is obviously but you know this is going on in the midst of this game right in the midst of this nba season there's a story behind the scenes about sexual assault that's happening but, you know, I wanted to say it's a race thing, and I'm sure how we frame it is a race thing, Brian, but uh, we can also mention that Ben Roethlisberger, the same thing has happened. So, yeah, you, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, my, my primary reaction to this is that I think this is the logical conclusion of the move to try and divorce politics and sports or to, you know, divorce what's happening in the real world from sports. If we want to see sports is existing only inside this little tiny bubble and we don't want to think about you know, what people are doing off the court, what political influences there are being exerted on them or that they're kind of putting out in the real world. And we want to have a, you know, kind of shut up and dribble mentality that it's easy for the Mike Wilbons of the world to only focus on the athletic accomplishment and to, and to not, you know, choose not to say anything as a, a statement that, that you're, you know, um, aware of or, or unhappy with the other stuff that's going on, that's going on, um, in real life. And unfortunately that I think is the way that the, the history of sports and sports coverage, at least recent history has, has, has been painted. And I think, like I said before, that's the, the move to kind of treat sports as this insulated thing 
that we that we um, sort of think about only in a vacuum sort of sort of leads us to do. It's the same. It's the same logic, by the way, um, that allows us to uh, as fans to cheer for teams when the owners and the GMs go out and sign people who have got. Um, off the field stuff that that you know would make it hard slash impossible for you to get any other job um, inside of the real world. So um, yeah, it's tough. And listen, we've talked about this you know at length at multiple times on this podcast that to be a sports fan who's even moderately aware of you know kind of the, the 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 a critical perspective on sports means that you're always kind of a paradox or a walking contradiction. We're all guilty of this, right? We all, if you're a sports fan, cheer for a team where somebody's. Uh, there's somebody on your team or your team's past that that you know you probably wouldn't want to hang out with or chat with based on things they've done or allegations that have been have been made against them. So it's not it's not like we're sitting here saying you know shame on any and all of these people who are excited to see Derrick Rose drop drop fifty right because we we do you know similar things whether it's you know tweeting as a big time big name ESPN sports personality or whether or not it's just sitting on a couch and and cheering for your team even though you know they've made questionable questionable sort of personnel decisions so um I, yeah I, but but I think I think this article is is right on that the omission is is crazy and I I'll be honest man it's a, it's a good reminder because personally I had sort of forgotten about this story which is a bummer it's it sort of gets lost and churned up in the wash of all the different social issues all the different unfortunately sexual assault type allegations that that have happened in sports you've mentioned a few of them already um so it it makes them easy to forget and i think that's sort of the underlying theme of this piece which is when we go back to just talking about people's on the field or on the court accomplishments it's easy to forget about these other things that are happening off the court and that that maybe is something that we should we should question the last thing I want to say about this is, and my blog post will deal with this in a little bit, scoring is crazy up in the NBA. This game where Derrick Rose dropped 50, the final score was 128 to 125. It's not like he dropped 50 in a 95-90 affair, right, where he accounted for over 25% of the points. He dropped 50 in a game that had 253 points scored. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's insane to me. That's less than 20% of the total points. Like, wilt he ain't. You know what I'm saying? I know. I know. The game is definitely different. Hey, I know we got to we got to wrap things up and I know that you want to get that blog up, but um I guess I think what's I think what we have to we we can't really forget here and I'm not trying to be like altruistic whatsoever, but we now live in a world in which sports have a much much larger influence than perhaps we've ever seen. I mean, we've always had like sports figures who have had a lot of social uh, power and cachet and all of this stuff. But now I think when you see in terms of like buy uh, purchasing power and, and attention sports have become perhaps if not anything else, uh, perhaps more so than anything else, the go-to uh, the, the go-to magnet for attention because it's live. And so uh, as opposed to streaming something on Hulu or on, on Netflix, right? Sports still has all of this power because it is able to, to uh, take advantage of, of, of advertising money and promotion and all this because it's live. And therefore for those reasons, right? All of this, the money pours in. And with that money, sports, uh, in my opinion, um, has, has much more of a responsibility to have these difficult conversations in ways that perhaps it could have, could have gotten away with uh, 35 years ago. And I think the people who make their living off sports, including Mike Wilbon and Utbon and other sports commentators, uh, you know, that's just kind of the game now. And you have to be willing to, to 
to go deeper and to delve deeper on these on these issues that are extremely important. And so just to ignore the fact that this happened or last week when we talked about Ronaldo or to talk about Roethlisberger, just to ignore it, I think it's unacceptable because of the role, I guess is what I'm saying, because of the role of sports now in the society. Does that make sense to you? I mean, it's just a different it's a different moment. Yeah. Sports aren't this thing that are on the back burner anymore. They're they're right there in the center of the conversation. And, and, and why that is, as I pointed out to me, is because of technology and access to, to attention or access to content. But, you know, whether or not you agree with that doesn't matter. The fact is that sports and sports consumption is front and center in our society, in our country, in our, in our culture now. And for that reason, the conversations that we have about sports need to be deeper. They need to be more significant. And they need to be more thoughtful. So that's just my take. And this is just one example of that. Yeah. No, I agree. Done. <laughs> I'm on board. Was okay. that a question? Sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow. He is, I just moved Brian to tears. You can't see it. He's crying. My God. Wow. That was like, it was quite the speech I just gave. Yeah. This was good. <laughs> what a dick. All right. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I, 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 I just, I, it seems like we're running out of time and I was just waiting. Didn't, didn't you have something to say to me? What did I, what, what, well, what was I going to say? The world series just ended. Oh God, I forgot. Yeah, congrats, congratulations. Red Sox, Another Red Sox made World it look Series. easy. If you can't see me, I'm hitting my head against Too this easy. soft microphone right now. <laughs> what a boring World Series! Yeah, congrats. It's great. Yeah, boring World Series because of our complete and utter dominance. Our good and hitters didn't even hit. It could have been. It could have been over in four. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can see if, if the Cubs won the World Series, it would be the entire fucking episode. But, you know, the Red Sox win. So all I get is this half-hearted congratulations at the end. Hey. Sam texts me during game five, like the sixth inning. He's like, congrats, it's over. I'm going to bed. That is true. You know, feel free to to, to do the show lineup. You know, I'm, I'm more than willing to hand those duties over to you. To do the show what? To do the show lineup and outline. It's you. Take it over, <laughs> You got it. Uh, what, no, why, why, why do I have to do the outline? Because the because the Red Sox won. Anytime, anytime. Um, I just assumed you'd, you'd throw it in there somewhere. <laughs> I meant to, and then I cross it off. Congratulations, Brian. I'm happy for you. The Red Sox won another World Series. Uh, they were obviously the best team in Major League Baseball the entire year. It's well deserved. It wasn't the Astros. I was happy about it. Did you find this team boring though, compared to old uh, Red Sox teams, older Red Sox teams? I mean, they didn't like, play just, a meaningful game of baseball for most of the year. So I guess it was in terms of personalities too. Did you find it boring? Them boring or no? I, I don't know. They got that you know the young crew of guys in the outfield. Uh, you know, Benintendi, Betts, and uh, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. I think they're kind of fun. But okay. but yeah, I mean yeah, there's definitely no like. Manny being, you know, stupid and peeing in the green monster and stuff. So yeah, yeah, they 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 were not the most fun team, but I, I still like them. I am happy for you. I'm sorry to be a smartass, and you're right. Had the Cubs won, I <laughs> me too. It just higher. occurred to me halfway through. That's why I brought it up. I was not, not criticizing your lineup. Well, in two to three years, we'll do we'll devote an entire episode to the fact that Cubs only won one World Series because uh, I think that's happening. <laughs> Better yeah. than none. Yeah, I guess, but all that talent's going to go down the shitter. Anyhow, <laughs> it's Friday. You're two hours ahead, so you're three hours, maybe two hours from your first beer of the day. Congratulations. 
uh, get that sports nerd jacuzzi out, do some drinking. But uh, what do you think's right, in buddy. here right now? If you put beer in your coffee mug, God, my nipples are they could cut glass right now. I just saw myself. Sorry, Instagram. Jeez, wow, it's ch- chilly in here in the radio studio. I need to wear a hoodie like Brian has on. God, look at that beard. Brian has a beard, everybody. So sorry about the scratching. That's Brian's beard. Yes. Yeah.